Let's take some time to begin as we uh, talk about our message for today. So a couple of things about me before, you, before we go any farther. First of all, you've probably all seen that I've got something broken here. I broke my hand a couple weeks ago, but I also have a problem with my back, so I'm going to be sitting for the, for the rest of the service. So in case you're wondering why this you know, cheeky man is sitting during preaching, uh, that's why, because it hurts too much. So... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here and, and share God's Word with you this morning. One of the blessings that we have today is to be able to talk a little bit about what it means to be and do church together. Discovery Church is in a series called With, and the series is about being with people, not doing things for people, but doing things with people. I think that uh, you and I can both agree that we've come out of two years of being so isolated that we've, many of us have lost the habit or even some of the social graces or maybe even some of the just basic skills of wanting to be together with other people. And I'm really a really high proponent of online church and being available for church online. So if you're watching us here this morning, whether that's through Hope Fellowship or Maranatha or Rehoboth, uh, or I just want to encourage you to keep attending because there's a community that you can get involved in. But being with people is the way in which friendships are going to be built and relationships are going to continue to be built. You need people in your life. You cannot do life alone. Can I get an amen? Right? You cannot do life alone. Because if you do it alone, you are going to continue to atrophy. That's what happens when you do life alone. Today, I want to talk about doing life together. The messy, the dirty, getting dirt under your fingernails kind of life together on mission together. I think that's a really important thing for us to talk about as churches together as we have gathered here today. And so one of the things that uh, I just want to remind you about is that we live in a culture currently that is so different than even just two generations ago. Some of you who are grandparents and great-grandparents, you will understand this, but a lot of the people in, the younger people, just have no clue about this. There probably was a time when some of you remember working and living and playing and having friendships all in the same city. Yes? Yeah. For a lot of us, that's not the case anymore. You could eat together, you could play together, you could uh, raise kids together, you could uh, have all of your friends were there, your church friends were there, your work friends were all in the same city or even in the same general location. But we live in a culture now where the place that you live is not necessarily the place where you work. How many of you work outside of town? Like just outside of Bowmanville? Really? That's all? Okay, this is an interactive portion of the message today. So uh, those of you who are like, I am not moving any fingers, you're just going to have to get used to it because there's going to be a couple of times when I ask you questions, all right? How many of you live, uh, work outside of town? Hands up. There we go. All right. All the rest of you live in town or uh, have, well, the rest of you must live and work in town. But we've gotten to a point in our community where our workplaces are different from our home places. And then there's the spiritual groups of people that we have. So there's maybe people at church that we know. And then there's people at work that we know. And then there's people in the neighborhood that we know. And then, of course, there's the family that we know. And then we have so many groups of people, we get exhausted and frazzled just trying to find a friend from any one of those groups. And isn't it any wonder that when we add COVID, two years of forced isolation, which I believe was appropriate, 
But two years of forced isolation and then coming out of that, we now add on top of that the way social media has trained us to look at ourselves differently than we have looked at ourselves before. The world has pushed us into a place where we have pushed away that group of people, that group of friends that we were connected with before. Or maybe our lives are just so crazy, so busy that we just don't have that group of people any longer. But God has given us a way to have relationships together, to be on mission together as a group of people. And I think that one of the things we've got to reclaim as we move forward into this next time of ministry, as we think about this summer going into the fall, is how are we going to be reconnected with people? And I think one of the most important ways that you could do that is by working together on a project, getting dirt under your fingernails, doing something on mission together. But it doesn't have to be just that together. We're here as four churches, and we can certainly talk about what that might look like. But every single one of you has an opportunity to step into the good and gracious plan that God has for you in your life. Can you just imagine if you woke up today and you had a ready-made team of friends who you could do something together with, some of you are feeling isolated and alone. You go to work and you work with people. You live in a neighborhood, maybe you live in an apartment building and you know the people, but deep down inside you still feel alone. Some of you know what that feeling is. Maybe it's because you don't have a group of people that you can do something for the kingdom of God with. Maybe it's just you haven't got anyone to do anything with. It's so important that we pay attention to this because God uses our relationships. He uses the people that you are, the gifts that you have, the talents that you have in order to grow the kingdom of God, but also so that we are united together and we can work together as one community. Could you imagine what we could accomplish as four churches as compared to each individual church? The scripture I've chosen for today is from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. But I'm going to read just a couple of verses that are not on the screen uh, before this to just get your head wrapped around this. Beginning at verse 11, it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Just so you know, this passage is the reason why I'm in ministry. Uh, I believe God showed this to me uh, four times in a matter of three or four weeks in three different, three different ways, uh, twice from a, a preacher, believe it or not, on a billboard, and another time when we were at an event. This passage came up again and again when I was asking God, where does he want me to do? What does he want me to do in my life? Ephesians 4.11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and shepherds, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do this work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I heard that call. And I believe that God was asking me to step into the role as a pastor. Then I thought it was a pastor, but it turns out I'm an apostle and a teacher. But my job, and for those of you who are pastors here in the room, those of you who are elders here in the room, those of you who are deacons, look at me. Deacons, elders, pastoral care workers, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, staff in churches. You are called to equip God's people, the rest of us, to do God's work. Why? This is our passage for today. Verse 14. 
then we will no longer be immature like children. How many of us are spiritual children? Where we don't know enough to stand on our own two feet with the Scripture. Where we don't know enough to handle the the challenges that life brings so that we can do the work that God has called us to. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to kick us with lies, trick us with lies, so clever that it sounds like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head, the body of the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. This is the passage I want to focus on today, this verse. Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. He, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You and your gifts, each one of you who's a follower of Jesus Christ, contributes to the overall body of Christ and its growth and health. For some of you, that's a brand new revelation. You've never thought of yourself as giving something to the overall growth and health of the body of Christ. But God has equipped each and every one of you here. If you're a follower of Jesus, he gives you a spiritual gift. It's part of your job, the DNA of who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ to contribute towards the overall health and growth of the entire body of Christ. That's what we're called to. And if you want good friends, if you want good friends who will be with you, walk with you, go through life with you, it is this group of people that you're probably going to have the deepest relationships with because there's not only the emotional and the physical relationships around doing fun things and being together and thinking together, but there's the spiritual one that takes you to a place that is incredibly deep, transparent, full of accountability, and moves you to something greater. The greatest mission that we could ever accomplish together is the mission that we're going to do together as the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 says it this way, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we, will all, and we all belong to each other. Now, for some of you, you feel like you don't belong. Some of you, you think thinking, I'm just too old. I don't belong anymore. Some of you think thinking, I'm just too young. I don't belong anymore. I'm too weird. I'm too different. I'm too black. I'm too white. I'm too crazy. I'm too weird. Every single one of you has a gift that God has called you to, to be part of this mission. And it's our job as elders and pastors and and deacons and Sunday school teachers and youth workers and pastoral care leaders to help you figure out how God has equipped you to do the work that God is calling us to. That is a crazy, enormous, and blessed priority that we have as a church. But it's also your responsibility to seek out what God has gifted you in. You know, I think one of the biggest problems that we have when it comes to friendship is that we think it's about us, that it's my responsibility. But the most satisfying friendships that you will ever form 
are the type of friendships that arise when we gather and do things as a church and as a community. As we do things that are kingdom-focused, that have God-focused kinds of outcomes. I want you to think about the last time that you were part of a mission. That maybe you, you went to camp, you went to summer camp. This is, I've heard this probably two dozen times in the last couple of weeks, that summer camp was such a life changer for young adults and adults as they moved into their adulthood. Such a formative uh, experience, especially Christian summer camps. Think about last time you went on a service project with your church or with a group of people and you gave of yourself. Did you know that uh, they've done studies about people who have given themselves to service and they studied the emotional nature of the person who serves and the emotional nature of the person who receives that service? Guess whose emotions are better? The person who serves. The person who serves receives an emotional benefit greater than the person who is being served. I thought that that was amazing. Think about the last time that you were on a team at church and you worked together for a specific purpose, a mission, starting Discovery Church, planting Hope Fellowship. Those friendships and those relationships are the ones that are probably the deepest or have been most fruitful in your life. There's a man named Robert Coleman. He was a seminary professor. Back in 1954, he wrote a little book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And I think it's Jesus' master plan when it comes to making disciples, building and uh, discipling a group of people for the kingdom of God. And it's about relationship. It's about how God used, Jesus used those 12 men to grow and mobilize a religious uh, over, uh, uh, something that overtook the world. But he started with just 12 people. Uh, Robert Coleman says this. Uh, uh, he said that there's, there's about eight pieces to this, and I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. The book is really short. If you want to get a copy, come see me. I'll be happy to give you a copy. Uh, first of all, the first thing that Jesus did was he selected people. People were his method. He just said, come follow me. He asked people who had no theological training to be his disciples. Okay, here's, here's another one of those you must participate kind of moments. Not must, but I'd like you to participate moments, okay? So hands in the air. How many of you have a doctoral degree in theology? You got one? Got one. How many, now hands up, stay up, come on. How many of you have a theological master's degree? All right, there's two. How many of you have at college or university, no, keep your hands up, come on, keep the hands up. How many of you at college or university took a theology course? Okay, keep the hands up, keep the hands up, college and university, all right, look around, see how many people there are, right? There's maybe 20 out of the 250. You are not qualified, you are overqualified for what Jesus did with his 12 disciples. Everybody else here is qualified. <laughs> Jesus took 12 men who knew nothing. Well, they knew a few things. But they didn't have any theological training. What did they have when he brought them into this friendship, this dynamic relationship where they changed the world? They had a willingness to be led. And they had a willingness to be obedient. 
to Jesus. Jesus select people. People were his method. Acts chapter 14 verse 13 says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Pay attention. Look at this. Look, 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 look here. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. No training, but they had been with Jesus. That's the criteria for the mission-changing or the life-changing, world-changing scope of what the disciples did. I think sometimes that it's really odd that Jesus only chose 12, right? I mean, he was the best at probably whatever you can imagine. He was probably the best life coach. Wouldn't he be more like Tony Robinson or Tony Robinson that goes around the world with speaking to hundreds of thousands of people? Wouldn't he have better success if he did that? Wouldn't it be better if he was more like Andy Stanley or maybe like Charles Stanley or Billy Graham where he got up in front of large groups of people? Why did he choose 12? He chose 12 because he was able to change who they were, transform them. These unlearned unschooled men into a mission-shaping machine that changed the world. Now, most church today, we focus on the crowds, right? The multitudes, the groups of people that we stand in front of. We think about adding one person or two people or, or some kind of, uh, you know, additional kind of complexity, one person on top of another. And, and I have, what I've done over the years is that I've gone back to this idea of discipling or going with a group of people, a small group of people for a, a year-long period, and then releasing them to be disciple makers. I've done this about 10 times in the last 10 years, and we've seen multiple ministries grow. My experience is, is that if I disciple about eight people, three of them, two of them are going to go off and disciple another group of people, but the rest of them are going to be able to disciple someone else one-on-one. How many of you grandparents want to have the skill to disciple your grandchild? How many of you friends want to have the skill to step alongside your friend when they're in crisis and bring a message of the gospel to them, to be able to say, I, I, I learned this stuff. I know how to do this. It only took me a year. It only took me one year to learn this, and I was able to disciple someone on the journey of faith. Jesus stayed with his disciples. He called them. He chose. He just said, come see. Come follow me. Uh, come and see what, the, what is good. Jesus said, come and do this. And then he stayed with them. He stayed with them long enough for them to start looking like him. The Bible says that when you uh, listen and learn from a teacher, when you spend time together, you become like the person that is leading you. Isn't that what we all want as followers of Jesus, that we want to become like Jesus? When I disciple someone, and maybe you've been privileged to disciple someone, we we go humbly into that process and say, God, uh, it's not me that I want them to look like. I want them to look like you, even though I'm flawed. And we enter into a possibility of being changed by what God is doing. It wasn't just that Jesus called them to follow him. He stayed with them. And then um, what happened is they began to change. They began to become transformed. 
and they started to give up old patterns and come into new patterns. What happened was is that Jesus required obedience from them. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus calls you, you're wanting him to lead you, and then he wants you to be obedient. That's the, that's the key component to being a disciple. He wants you to be obedient. Now, I think, and this is a sad thing for me to say as a pastor, and I think other people you might recognize this, that when people get stuck in their faith, maybe you felt stuck. Maybe you're just like not growing. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe you felt like God is not there anymore. Let me pose to you this proposition that maybe what's happening is that you've stopped being radically obedient to the teachings of Jesus. If you want to see transformation in your life, you want to become more Christ-like, your character change, to see the kingdom of God come in your life, to see the mission of God accomplished with the people of God around you, be willing to be radically obedient to the teachings of Jesus. And then what did Jesus do? He gave himself away. He walked with these 12 men, And he began discipling other people around him, and he gave himself away to them. He gave them his glory. He gave them his spirit. And through the spirit of God, the world was changed. Their lives were changed. Jesus gave up his life for those disciples. And they were able to walk with him and look at him and watch him. And then he showed them what it was like to live this life. And one of the things he passed on to them is he said, it's going to cost you something. I'm here to tell you that if your faith does not cost you anything anymore, then maybe you're not being as radically obedient as you once were. Please forgive me, because I can only put myself in that very same place. And I can only speak from my own failures. That when my faith gets too comfortable, I have to remind myself that radical obedience is going to be uncomfortable. We get this crazy idea that becoming a Christian or getting older or being secure in my finances is the be-all and end-all of our existence. Comfort seems to be equated with happiness. It's just not true. When you are too comfortable, life stagnates. When you're too comfortable, We said, okay, I've done enough. But radical obedience keeps us moving towards holiness all of our life. He gave himself away. And then number five, he showed them how to live. He showed them how to live. He showed them what it was like to walk this earth, to be involved with a group of people. And then he said, now you try it. He said, look, I want you to come follow me, and then we're going to go around and heal the sick, cast out demons, and proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. And they watched him do one after the other after the other, and then he said, now you go feed the 5,000. What? Us? Feed the 5,000? Yeah, now you go feed the 5,000. I want you to go into the towns and villages. I want you to go two by two, and I want you to preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, and cast out demons. What did he teach them to do? Heal the sick, preach the kingdom of God, and cast out demons. That's what he taught them. He said, now that I've taught you, I want you to go. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus in community with a group of friends means putting into practice what Jesus is teaching, and that is going to make us uncomfortable. He also then assigned them some work. You got to go. You got to do this. And then 
when they came back, he kept checking on them. He kept saying, you know, how did it go? And they say, the Spirit of God was upon us. We saw demons flee. It's incredible what we saw happen. But the last thing is, is that they expected them to multiply, to reproduce. Go and make disciples, he said to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Remain in me and I in you and I will bear much fruit. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's not enough to go out and find people who are lost and bring them into the faith. Just hear me. Hear me say that. Let me say that again. It is not enough to go to the lost and bring them to faith. It is not enough to disciple our covenant children to a place where they accept Jesus. It is not enough to do that. Why? Because if we don't train disciples to make disciples, all of it will end within one generation. Within one generation. The church will come to an end if we don't train up people to make disciples, to be disciple makers. Every single one of you has the DNA within you to become a disciple maker, to go on a journey with a group of people, to pour the Spirit of God that's coming upon you into their life, and to see lives transformed. I just, I did a math experiment, okay? Some of you are going to hate this, but I did a math experiment. I'm just going to ask them to put it up on the screen for me for a minute, okay? Let's say that we had four churches and we had ten leaders who were willing to disciple people, all right? In year one, that, ten group, that group of ten leaders from the four churches, right? Not ten each, just ten. They each discipled six people. That would be 60 people who are now able to make other disciples. Here's the key. Any discipleship training that doesn't result in someone being able to disciple someone else is faulty. Because that means those ten people got to get back up in front of another six every single time. Okay, let's go to year two. Now you've got those 40, uh, those 60 disciples. Remember I said that there's um, a bunch of people who won't disciple someone else? 40 of them will disciple one person. So you can add another 40 disciple makers on top of that. But let's say 30% of that 40 go on to gather a group of people of, let's say, six people. And they disciple. That's 20 leaders who are now going to disciple six participants each. That's 120 disciples after two years. Let's go to the third year. Just just bear with me. Some of you are hating this. I know this. But just imagine this for me, would you? Could you imagine now with this next one? If we've got 40 leaders, they they, they have six participants each. That's 240 disciple makers. And then everyone else disciples one-on-one. And we add another 60. That makes 560 disciple makers in three years. Three years. That's three, not four. This is three. Three years. We have now three generations of disciple makers. And that's if all of those previous people only do it once. If those previous people go back and do it again... The exponential result of people who are being discipled explodes. I want to challenge you. Boy, this is dangerous ground. I want to challenge you, all four of us churches, that we would find between us ten leaders that we would disciple for a year so that they could disciple the first sixty. 
that maybe, possibly, that we could focus on something bigger than our programs which are necessary, something bigger than the buildings that we have which are necessary, something bigger than the uh, ministries that we operate, something that is going to see the kingdom of God and the relationships that we build with the people of God go beyond ourselves to the generations that follow. I challenge you, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, pastoral care workers, stewardship teams, what if God is calling you to disciple a group of six people? Would you be willing to step out in that way? Could you put the text back up for me, please, uh, Johan, once again? Just verse 16. Look at this. Verse 16. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's what I'm challenging you to do, that you would consider doing that. But I'm not asking you just to do this. What if the rest of you, like some of you are like, yeah, I'll be right into it. The rest of you are like, I'm scared to death of you, of you saying that. Because nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm going to evangelize today. Nobody wakes up in the morning doing that. Well, maybe there's a few of you. <laughs> but likely not most of you. What about this idea? What about if we four churches decided that we were going to sponsor refugees? What if we just decided that we were gonna say, okay, we're gonna put a team together from this four group of people and do something in relationship together, something that we're gonna remember as friends on mission for God, see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, sharing the gospel with a group of people who come from another country and being humble and gentle in the process and helping them relocate to this area in our community. What if we did that in the next year? What's the point of us getting together as the four churches in Bowman Bell unless we can accomplish something greater than ourselves? Now, for the rest of you, I put a sheet of paper on your chairs because everybody's got to start somewhere. Some of you are thinking, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't, wouldn't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to speak to. I don't know what to do. What I want you to do is I want you to fill out that sheet. I want you to put your time on there. I want you to decide where you're spending your time and then ask yourself, is there someone that I can add to my list to be a friend with? Where's the need? We don't have to go far. It's right in front of you. What is the need of your kids, your kids' friends? What's the need in your marriage? What's the need in your community? What's the need in your neighborhood? Could you join a group of people this summer and say, you know what, I'm not going to just be focused on myself and my family, but I do want to see God's kingdom come and His will be done. That there's someone who still needs to hear the gospel. I'm not dead yet. And for those of you who are young, you think you've got all the time in the world. You don't. And for those of you who are older, your time is shorter. We are called to do something greater together than we can alone. I know I'm going to get emails for this message. Somebody's not going to be happy. C.S. Lewis, I'm going to wrap this up with what C.S. Lewis said here. He said, there are no ordinary people in the world. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Just think about that. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, all of that stuff's mortal. 
but you have never talked to a mere mortal. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, betray, exploit. You can either be involved in immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. If you want a good friend, run a race together, build a house together, cook together, do it all while working together for the greatest mission a human can have together with another person is to give away a relationship with Jesus Christ to someone else. I want to die with my fingernails dirty doing something for the mission, the kingdom of God alongside a group of people that I love. That's what I want in my life. Our time on earth is short and our mission is critical. We've got to get back to building the kingdom in the mess with dirt under our fingernails together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this group of people who are very patient with a cheeky preacher. Lord, if my heart has been wrong here, would you correct me? But Lord, each one of us is sitting here listening to the Holy Spirit. Some of us want to hear, and others of, our, others of us are not sure yet. For those of you who have been thinking about this already, this is the Lord speaking to you to remind you to pay attention. For those of you who are hearing this message for the first time, that maybe you are being called into something greater and something deeper. Don't neglect to hear the voice of the Spirit of God. Seek out wise counsel. For all the leaders here in the room, Lord, give us humility to seek out and to find what it is that you're calling us to do as churches here in this community. To be honest with ourselves about what we can accomplish. But be bold enough, Lord, to try and do something that only you could imagine. We pray, God, for your blessing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.